Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Welcome to Book-ish. Uh, I'm George Dumas. I'm here with Zoe Bellotta. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Welcome. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. I know. We're gonna, this is the show where we talk about what's your favourite book and what does it say about you. Now, some of you probably know Zoe already, but before, but I, I like to have you introduce yourself. Do you want to give a little background on who you are? What you do, all that oh sort of God, stuff. Oh, God, what a terrifying question. I know, it's probably a lot of... I should have probably like, prepped all you. that one I needed to... I thought I just needed to read a book. Just summarise. Yeah. Executive summary. Who are, who are who you? Are you? I, I'm Zoe and I do all the, some other podcasts on Sans Pants Radio Network. I host Shut Up A Second, uh, a Sans Pants Plus show called Talks Loudly Over Film. I also direct all our like film stuff, which eventually will be something. But right now it's just a theory that I direct these things. They're, they're happening. That's how it starts. Yeah, That's how it yeah. starts. You've directed a couple, haven't you? Yeah, I've directed a yeah. couple. They're all sitting in a bank waiting to be released um, or possibly being released already. I have no idea when this is going to air or when we're going to release anything, but they, they're accumulating. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, and uh, yeah, we'll just totally figure out a few things as we go along. But I'm let's excited, start I'm off excited with... to learn about myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, I'm excited to try to delve. I'm and scared a little bit. But I think <laughs> yeah, no, be scared. Be very scared. Okay. It's a good combination <laughs> to have. Okay, so you have brought in your Slaughterhouse Five. That Kurt was Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, yeah, and that's a. I read that ten years, probably yeah. more than ten years yeah. ago. Only Kurt Vonnegut book I've ever read. Yeah, me too. Yeah, how, that's criminal, isn't it? It is like my. That's your favorite book. It's my favorite book, and it's the only. I'm not a big. I will admit, I'm not an avid reader. It's all right. I, I will admit, I I would much rather. I love TV and film. Like I studied that in uni. Like that was my thing. I love a good factual book, but like a novel, I can very much give or take. Yeah, Vonnegut was, uh, this This book was specifically I got given as a gift when in my early 20s and so, like I was like, oh, I'll read this and it was great and I loved it and it was like the only book that I think I've read multiple times. Yeah. Like, and so for me, like that was so indicative that I must have really liked it because I just read it again and again and again, which is just something I've never done with any other book. Okay. So, yeah. Because anyone you've read, so you've read it more than twice. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. so I've read it a couple of times. It's like the book that I grab when I'm going on like a trip or whenever I'm on a plane or whatever. You're like, yeah, I know it's good, it's easy, safe. Okay. Read that on a plane. So, uh, so now I'm going to give, I guess it, I should do spoiler warnings a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a book five. that came out in like what, the 80s, the 70s? Something like that, yeah. It's like, pretty old. Yeah, spoiler alert for something that happened literally decades ago. And also like it's, I think it's actually a book that's better to be spoiled. In a yeah, way. yeah. Because it's too crazy the it, first time you read it. The you first time you what, read it is the most overwhelming book. Yeah, Every, I remember I got I got given this book by my my partner at the time. He was a literature fiend, like he just consumed books in in a way that I wish I I, I wish I loved books that way, but I just don't. That's right. You, know, you like movies and TV. Yeah, you know, um, I know who I am. I know my limitations. But he loved books, and he was like, "I really want to get you reading. I really want to be able to read together." And I was like, oh, yeah, blah, blah. "And so he gave me this, and I was reading this, and he was reading Infinite Jest." Probably two of the hardest books you could ever read. And I was there like every couple of pages being like, help explain, explain this book to me. And he's like, I'm dealing with my own problem at the moment. 
So that's firstly a dick move yeah. from him yeah. giving you that as a non-reader to get you started. Like obviously it worked because yeah. he loved it. Well, I think it was very much like like because I'm a massive sci-fi nerd. He was just like, oh, this is a sci-fi book I really love. Like, but it's still literature. Because he was very much one of those people, like literature. You yeah. must have read it. It's fucking on the bookshelf and it's so beautiful. It's leather bound. Yeah, it feels so nice on my skin. Yeah, he was very much like one of those literature nerds. And so he was like, oh, it's 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 sci-fi. Sci-fi, but it's not sci-fi in a way, you know. And so he's like, "Try this." It's not sci-fi. Not sci-fi, like it's, oh. like it's poison in your mouth. Um, so yeah, I did that, and he was doing infinite jest, and both of us were just having a bad time. Which is just the fact that he's doing infinite jest is just yeah, the, the encompassing of who he was as a who he is as a person. He's not dead. Um, he's the, still he's dead to me, of course, but he's still alive in theory. Sounding more like a threat now, but okay. <laughs> But to give a summary of it, so you will, so my problem is I think, because I've only read it once. Yeah. I don't really, and I was really, I think I might have been even younger. I might have been like 18 or 17. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. And I don't think I actually, all I remember from it is the many syllabled alien name. Yeah, the Chalmafadorians. Chalmafadorians, something like that. Yeah. And their view of time. Yes. Which is pretty big in it. And the fact that everything's all over the place in it from a. So it's a nonlinear narrative, which is already like fucked you. Like if if you want an easy story, no. And it's not smoothly nonlinear. No, no, it just no, like no. you'll be halfway through a paragraph and you're like, where am I? What time am I in? Yeah. So the idea is like if you boil it down to its really basic kind of ideas is that we've, we're following the life of Billy Pilgrim who is uh, in World War Two, I want to say. And this is not that I don't know the book. I don't know my history. So <laughs> The one with the Nazis is the World one, War II. Ah, that one. He's in the big <laughs> Nazi fight. While he's doing that, it's like time jumps back and forth. So it's like him in, in, in the war and then him as an older man and him with his wife and then him with his kids. And you, so you've got this time jump kind of narrative. And then to fuck it up even more, you introduce aliens that um, Billy Pilgrim is in a zoo, this alien zoo, and they're watching him and you're also learning about this alien's culture and life and how they view time and space. And for them, all time exists simultaneously. There are four-dimensional beings. So all time exists simultaneously and you're able to kind of feel that with the way the book is written. Like there's no very clear stops and starts of paragraphs and this is where this bit ends and where we're starting at this new chapter, which is like blink and then Billy Pilgrim's character will be somewhere completely different and you just have to pick up and move on with it. Yeah. I mean, I've read a few books that can be like that and yeah, they're basically, you have to read them twice. Yeah. Like you can't, yeah there's like, no way. Cause you're getting, you're, you're a third in before you even know what's, what's what really happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, it's just kind of dealing with what's it actually thematically. It's a, it's, it's about death. I think you can't kind of talk about Slaughterhouse Five and not address death as the main issue, death and time and, and how we as, humans deal with death in this really kind of sad way. And the iconic quotes, one of the iconic quotes from this book is, so is, so it goes, which is something that the aliens say and imply, um, like, and um, it's like a catchphrase of this. It's a catchphrase. So anytime, anytime someone dies in the book, it's then followed with, so it goes. So we'll describe someone's death, which, you know, if you're in a war, if you're getting older as a person, you know, like stuff like that is very frequent. And, you know, it's just like, so it goes because these creatures exist in all time and all places. They're like, well, if someone dies now, it's fine because I can, I'll see him again because I exist everywhere. And you're like, oh, yeah, so it goes. That's just death. It's just another thing. Yeah. So I think thematically that's the big one is death and just learning to accept it. All right. And when was, how old were you the first time you read this? It would have been 2021. And were you going through anything like that? Or had you gone through something like that recently? I think my aunt passed away when I was 19 and that was like a really big, that was like the first foray into death that I had like properly encountered. I was very lucky. Like my grandparents um, were still alive, all four of them and stuff. And then my aunt passed away quite young and we were like, oh, this sucks. Was that like unexpected or was it sick? No, she was sick for, she was sick for a while. She, she battled with breast cancer for, for 10 years and, and eventually succumbed to the illness but I think at the at that time reading this book and kind of just becoming, I think the first death you experience, especially if you experience a little bit later in life and you're really able to comprehend the finality of it, it really hits you really hard. And it for me at least it definitely did. I was like one day I'm going to die and very aware of it and I think I got stuck in my own head about it and then I read this book and I was like, oh, that's chill. I can I can be chill about this. 
Really? Yeah. So you, so you were drawing those correlations as you were reading the book? Yeah, it was it was the weirdest thing. Like, like literally got thrown thrown the book and me and my ex were both smokers at the time. So we were sitting out the back chain smoking, reading books together but separately. And I just love how cliche it is. It is. <laughs> so it's like, so cliche. Being a literary guy, he's just oh, trying yeah. to get you in on it. He was like, you can be part of my magic world. And I was like, I, I want to watch Godzilla. I tried. Talk about the poetry, bro. Yeah. Oh my God. He was a poet as well. Like he was, yeah. We always watched like, I remember we watched that movie back um, Ginsburg once and he was like, that's how we lived, man. That's how we should have been. And I was like, what? Huh? No, we're fine, man. But it was very cliche. I like Netflix. Yeah. I was like, I love the internet, man. It rules. Do you know how easy it is to access stuff now? You can't touch the internet though, you know. You can't. There's no leather on the internet. Yeah. Got to feel it within your hands. Weirdly enough, though, this is just a tangent. I have this feeling, and and he agreed with me that that books are just like trophies of smart, and I really hate that. So I don't keep books. I have four books on my bookshelf and two are Zamets. I I don't physically. I have no interest in keeping them because I never have interest in rereading them. So I don't keep. I don't have beautiful bookshelves filled with all the books I've ever read. Right. Um, Although, how many books would that be? <laughs> I, I, I definitely have. I can, I'm capable of reading. And oh, I was just taking yeah. judgment like that. <laughs> I can read, George. <laughs> I didn't realize that was the tone I was giving. Yeah. yeah, so it was this weird and this big literature nerd that I was dating and he was like, yes, keeping books. Oh, so cliche. We must burn them. And I was like, fucking burn them. So you're burning books. It was like, it was like burning books. I like donate my books. I give my books away. But then sometimes, sometimes we would burn them, not out of like a beautiful symbol of things. Sometimes we were just lazy and I have a burn-off pile in my backyard where I chuck all my papers. It wasn't a statement, it just was laziness. Just because you wanted space in the house. Yeah, because I always want space. If I, if, I did, if I wasn't donating them, they would just get burnt because I don't have a recycling. You can't burn books. Like, you just can, they're paper, can. They're, they're very paper. flammable. You totally can, but like you can't burn a book that you liked. No. I would go give those away. I'd give them to my my little brother. He's like a, an, a massive literature person. So he would get a lot of secondhand books whenever I'd read it. But some stuff you're just like, this was trash and I don't need this to. This needs to be taken off the planet. planet. This it's doesn't done. need to be shared. It's done. Yeah. And you're just like, you know, I was really into those like true true crime-esque, not true crime, but those crime novels, like um, Kathy Reich's and those kind of books when I was younger. So I just had like piles of those. Mm. So they got all got burnt. I have like the complete fucking theory series of book read along of the Torchwood show. I was like, I don't need this. That's that's a very niche. Yeah, it was a very niche book that I owned, and I very specifically remember needing that book. Okay, now you know what I'm. 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 Burn I've em. come around. Yeah, yeah I've come em. around. You know, maybe maybe that's okay because yeah. you know what? they're going to get burned eventually. Yeah, or just exactly. Mulched. No one wants them. Like no one wants them. It's okay to burn them. But like oh, the literature, the good books. Like a big fan of David Sedaris. Like my brother has all of my old David Sedaris books and stuff like that. And he's the opposite. Like he he he's like cling on to my beautiful trophies of reading. Like if you liked it. Like I mean, I got uh, David Sedaris. I've only recently discovered David. Oh, he's Sedaris, so. Oh like, my in god. Terms of, in terms of like I've known of him, but I never actually read his read stuff. It. As a Greek person, it's so important. I think you have to. You have to. Yeah, yeah. He's, his whole description is everything. Yeah, it's, like, it's yeah. so good. And he tells these stories of his yeah and growing up and you're like, this is it, man. This is this is it. I remember like a friend recommended him to me and they were like, he's queer, he's Greek. I don't know what else I need to tell you to make you love this author. And I was like, you don't. I've, I've already <laughs> fallen in love. <laughs> yeah, to clarify, we are both Greek. Yeah, we are both Greek. Yeah. We are both Greek. I've got an Italian last name, but I've got a Greek lineage. So Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah Like I'm reading it. Like, how funny is that? You're like, such a weird, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're just yeah. like, oh, that's it. Yeah, it's just a nice little like wink and a nod to yourself and your culture. And you're like, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. Oh man, I've slowly come around. I used to be like almost not being being a bit more neutral towards the Greek side of me, even yeah. though I'm so Greek. You're so Greek, dude. As you are well aware. <laughs> but that's in like a deeper level. Yeah. But like in terms of like, I guess, embracing certain elements of it, like I just have been a bit like, oh, you know, all culture. Oh, yeah, you never want to be a stereotype. All culture. But yeah. now I'm like, I'm like, no, you know what? I do. That's Greek. That's, yeah, that's, that's I love it. Greek, yeah. Yeah. I love it because, yes, yes, it mentions the Greek thing. You know, yeah, I'm not it's, judging anyone else, but it's just It's just nice when it's, I grew it, up with it's it. you. Like I, I have a couple of friends who, I, I grew up in a really like Anglo area of Melbourne where I think there was two other Greek girls in my year out of this graduating class of like 200. It's wild. Yeah. In Melbourne. Melbourne, you know. And so we, we grew up in this really, really white part of Melbourne. And my mom, who'd grown up in, in Brunswick, which is a very like multicultural part of Eltham, um, part of Melbourne, was like so scared of me and my brother getting picked on that she like really tried to anglify us. 
And so we would like have little Vegemite sandwiches every day on the white bread. And she was so scared because she had gotten picked on for in Brunswick of all places. Really? Yeah. For being Greek. For being Greek and in Brunswick. To be picked on. It's like that opening scene from um, my big fat Greek wedding. And mm. they're like, Moose Kaka. And like, my mum, I swear my mum had that exact same experience. And so growing up, she was like, No, Vegemite, we're going to be super Australian. You're going to like learn the, the Aussie way. And then I think when, when my brother, more than me, was like, you know, a teenager and he was like, Nah, it's just chill. We can just be Greek. And then my brother like went overseas and became like even more woggy. Somehow, like he went overseas and was like, oh, I'm just going to really embrace this. Like as in he went to Greece or just went No, traveling? he just went overseas. He's never been to Greece. Like he went to the Netherlands and then he went to Cambodia. And for some reason he came back and he was like this fully sick bro kind of dude. And I was like, what happened to you over there? <laughs> it was the weirdest. And he became really Aussie as well. Like I remember him being like, send an Australian flag. And we were like, why? Okay. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. Because like one thing that does happen when you travel is you do simplify, like you start missing home and yeah. stuff like that. So I could understand the, the strange like side of the wog, He missed the wogness of it all. I think he missed the family, I think. And that's how he was able to encompass family in this like, in this one little way, I think. Because like, I think growing up, I think anyone who's grown up in a culture that isn't the culture of where you are living, like knows how important it is to keep it not safe and pure and stuff, but like keep it going. And you don't it. use the word pure here. But no, <laughs> but it's uh, important. Like, you know, like you all, clutch onto it, you hold onto it. As yeah. A yeah. It's, it's, that's home, you know, like that's home. Like for me, you know, a bunning snag is just as home as like a musaka, you know, like they're both very important to me. And a veggie sandwich. So you and do a like veggie sandwich, sandwich, you know, very nice and safe, you know? So yeah, it was like growing up and then getting to meet Greek people or, or Italian people. Cause I'm both, I'm super wog. Mm. Um, getting to meet both. It was this great, I was, like oh you'd tell stories and then have the same stories like my best friend she's Macedonian and so we could just like talk shit about our families and it like understand it like because my yeah you tell stories and sometimes people are like oh you don't speak about your grandparents that way and you're like oh but I can though like who cares it's like my dad's mom I've, oh, you've heard I'm sure you've heard these stories a million times like, yeah, that's right. my dad's mom is a cunt Okay. I'll very clearly say that. Strong like, star, yeah. yeah. The Italian mum. The Italian one. Okay, right, I'm on I'm board. Like, she's, she's a bad lady and everyone's like, can't talk about your grandma that way. And I'll talk to my dad and I'm like, dad, what do you think of your mum? And he's like, she's a cunt, man. Like, she's an old Italian cunt, like who cares? And you're just kind of like that, being able to talk to other people when they're like, oh, it's this, you know, whatever it is, this wog bullshit that gets you to that point that calls you, makes you call the person that word. You're like, oh, yeah, you've got crazy relatives too. You've got crazy batshit wog as hell relatives who you just can't stand because you're like, yeah, they're old country, man. Yeah, they're just they're really high intensity. Yeah, they're really high intensity, yeah. old country. And they're like, oh, back in Italy, we'd never do this. And they're like, you moved to this country 70 years ago, like acclimatized woman. It's one of those interesting things, isn't it? Yeah. Like they're still, I'm like, I still think of my parents, even though my mom came here when she was 19. She's been here like 50 years. Yeah. Like as in, it's like, but still so Greek. So Greek. So <laughs> just- my mom was born here. My dad moved here when he was five. My mom was, my, my mom and her brother were born here. So Greek. Yeah. So Greek. They, that's they do that's sh- me as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think like have that combination of the two and I just came out with nothing because they didn't want to fight. <laughs> like the, I think the Italian and the Greek just never wanted to fight and they were like, we'll give you a nothing baby. I was like, all right. Get away with it. We'll make you Anglo instead. Yeah. And I was like, that'll do. That'll, uh, my brother looks super, like my brother looks really ethnic. My, my parents both look really ethnic. I came out really pale for some reason. Like, I think it's just my lack of sun, like growing up. Growing up, you just stayed inside. I was an, inso- I was an indoor kid, like, like through and through. My brother was like out playing in the dirt and I was like, oh, heaven forbid I dirty my fingers. Never, never oh, really? this little bubba. What were you doing? Watching TV. Always watching TV. Any favourites? Like, is it just anything? Anything. I was a massive sci-fi nerd, really into Star Trek uh, Next Generation and Star Trek Voyager. Those were two things I loved as a child. Okay. Uh, uh, generation I've watched, but Next Generation, but not anything else. Uh, Voyager's really fun. I really liked Voyager because it's got a lady captain. And I was like, my dad was really, he was like, that's feminism. And I was like, yeah, feminism. At least he was teaching it. That's yeah, right. yeah. He was progressive. Yeah, he was like, they were very good. I think both of them were very good at realising like what me and my brother liked and then um, just encouraging that. And so when I showed an interest in like film and TV in like more so than just watching it, I was like really interested in the history behind it. They were like, yes, let's go. And they would go to like the blockbuster and do the like 10 for $10. And you'd come back with this stack of movies and dad's like, let's, let's watch all of these. And you're going to learn a bunch of stuff. And I remember like watching psycho at like nine. Cause my mom was like, Oh, it's a cinematic masterpiece. And I was like, it's incredible. So, and then my wow. brother was really into soccer. So my mom was at the soccer games every Sunday morning and doing like that. It sounds like so healthy. 
healthy from your parents. Yeah, really, they did a good job. They did a good job at just yeah. like really knowing what their kids liked and and running with it. That way. Yeah, no, which again doesn't sound. Sometimes the ethnic ones can be. Yeah, the woggy ones can not, not do that do at that. all. Well, yeah. I think mum and dad had experienced that because both my parents are artists, which was a really big shock for all my grandparents. So mum and dad met in high school. They were at this VC, this Year Twelve equivalent, where it was this art equivalent, but you still got a high school diploma. And they were like, "We both want to be artists." My dad studied sculpture. My mum studied um, fine art and painting and, and drawing and stuff like that. And they had experienced both their sets of parents being like, oh, this is a bullshit job and you'll never get a career out of it. And like, you're fucking wasting your life. Like and the amount of times my dad has been told that he needed to be a plumber or a tradie or something like that. And he was like, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to create art. And my mom was like, you should have been a teacher or a nurse. And she was like, but I want to create art. So they experienced that. So they like made the active choice to not do that with their kids. All right. Yeah. Cause they were like, we don't want our kids to grow up feeling like they can't do anything they want. And so, I went into podcasting. My brother's a human rights lawyer. You're all doing your own thing. We're all doing our own thing. We're all doing our own thing. He once came home. He was working for the UN once and he lived, he was living in Cambodia and he came home and he was like telling us all these fantastic stories about all this amazing, very traumatic, extremely intense work, but all in all this amazing work he was doing, fighting the, helping the UN persecute, prosecute people in the Rouge trials and stuff like that. And I butchered that fucking word and I know I did. He tells me every time he's like, anyway, he comes, he comes back and he tells us all these amazing stories and he turns to me as he tells, and he's my brother and he's great. And he's like, what'd you do? And I was like, only interesting thing I'd had I'm able to tell him that had happened in the past six months is that I had punched a cockroach. Okay. <laughs> and he was like, so what have you been doing the past six months? And I was like, dude, like a couple of weeks ago, I like, there was a cockroach on the wall and instead of doing it, I just spazzed out and I punched it. And he was like, that's not a story. It's just squashing a cockroach. <laughs> and I was like, but I did it with my fist. Okay. That's uh, and not yeah, your and hand, not to, slapping it. Yeah. And he was like, cool, cool. I've been gone forever, but that's fine. Okay. That's we're very different people. Yeah. Yeah. They're going through your own, your own, your different own journeys. journeys. Yeah. Exactly. We're all your on own our journey. own paths. And, and mom and dad pe- support them both equally, which is super funny. I know. That's what's hilarious. Like, is oh he- yeah. They should have put all their eggs in, in my brother's basket and been like, this is the kid we are banking on. And that just let me run wild in the background. No, nah, but damn those bastards. They supported both. They support us. Both. So you can't even be like, oh, I know. I can't even be angry about it and create art with it. They're at every show. And not only that, like when my brother was overseas, they would like Skype him in during the show. So he could be a part of it. And like, they were like, you don't know the first show we ever did with Sans Pants. I think it was to a room of like 150 people, which is an insane amount to perform to for your first show ever. And we were so excited. Like everyone in Sans Pants was freaking out and losing their shit. And my parents had to call my brother, like FaceTime my brother to show him how full the room was. And he's like, I'm working for the UN. And my parents like, look at Zoe do a little monkey dance. Let's <laughs> make the people laugh. That's That sounds honestly amazing. Yeah, it was really nice. It's actually really sweet. Yeah, It's really sweet. And you want to, you want that anger and that angst to, to be angry at your parents to create art, but I don't have that. You don't have that at all. Really you got just the most insanely supportive relationship ever. Yeah, this is really nice. People. I can't believe it. <laughs> Trials that your parents went through. And then to do the opposite with their kids and just be like, run. My brother came home. This is like how opposite my parents went with it. My brother came home at like 15, 16, and he was like, guys, I think for my VC, I'm going to really focus on law. I want to go and do law at university. And my mom went, no. And she was like, you can literally do anything in the world. And he was like, I want to be a lawyer. And she was like, but anything, like you could, you're so talented. You're such a good writer. You're such a good drawer. Like you could do anything, anything, like follow your bliss, like find what makes you happy and learn to make money from it. That's been mom and dad's mantra her entire life. And he was like, no, I want to be a lawyer. And she just didn't know how to cope with that. So she just left the room. She left upset. (laughs) She left upset because my brother wanted to be not just a lawyer, a human rights lawyer. So the good type of lawyer. And my mum didn't know how to handle that. And there was me in the corner, like being like practicing funny voices. And she was like, why can't you be more like your sister? What is this living scenario? It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. This is what happens when you grow up in an art gallery, man. It's the weirdest you shit. You grew up in an art gallery. Yeah, so, so our mum and dad's house is, an, is a functioning art gallery. Have you ever been there? You've been there once oh, to no, pick I have, up yes, stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So the big barns, that's all art gallery. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so they moved there when we were kids. They, they got these old, it was an old apple orchard that they converted to be a functional gallery space where they teach and also exhibit art and then it's also like 20 meters away from our house it's a very interesting childhood so interesting like as in <laughs> I, I don't know it's a weird okay i'm actually gonna try to tie like yeah, do the it. ladies back to what we're talking about because like, there's a weird attitude i think to kurt vonnegut especially i think because of his the fact that it's been so taken and used in so much 
culture yeah. where people are like, oh, whatever. I'm like Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. Like, so yeah. you assume, like I actually came in, I didn't know that this little detail about your background. Because <laughs> when you hear someone saying Sword House Five is my favorite book, my straight thought is, ah, oh, okay, they must have like some darker <laughs> family upbringing involved in that. You have literally the most wholesome yeah. family situation. It's this Partridge family level of kindness. Yeah. That is so interesting because like, yeah, I, I mean, I, for me, it's, it's blows my mind because I've got like the exact opposite. They're still, they're not, like, yeah. they're lovely, but they're just both born in Greece and both uh, moved here, but they're like very old school, very old school, business and work and do all that stuff. You work hard. Yeah, you, yeah, you, all that stuff. Which which my, my grandparents have and and very much it is like you work hard, you do your bit. Like my grandma learned how to read and write English. My yaya is like my biggest inspiration and she learned to read and write English in her 50s after like the kids were all grown up and on their own and started her own business here, like got qualified because she just worked in factories every like what doing whatever, like just shit kicker work for, for like while the kids were growing up. And then as soon as the kids were out of the house, she was like, what do I want to do? So she loves went, working. She loves working. So she went, she, she learned to read and write English. She went to like a school to teach her how to learn, read and write English. She went and she got a degree in a, a, a diploma in floristry and she started her own business. And so she had, I'm not sure if you ever saw uh, Anthos Florist in Thomastown. No, like that closed down about 10 years ago, but Anthos Florist in Thomastown, that was our family. That's where I first worked. That's where everyone in my family got their first job in the oh florist. God. And that's what, yeah, she just, she just did that. And she was like, you work hard. She worked every day up until she probably was 75. And then she was like, I'm tired. <laughs> and she left it to my uncle. And then my uncle like sold it a couple of years later. And it was like this thing. It was just like, everyone grew up like in this florist. It opened the day my brother was born. Like I spent every summer there and it was just like, you work hard and everyone, my, my papu, my mom, my dad, or my aunt, my aunt, my uncle, me and my brother, like everyone had their first job there oh, wow. and just like grew up in that, in that big forest, which was yeah. just this dream of this little old Greek lady. Cause she was like, I want to do my own business. After having the kids. <laughs> After having you? the kids and doing all that. She like, she's, we call her lady Yaya cause she's this like massive free spirit. She's also a big lady Gaga fan. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got such a hilarious it's, family. It's insane. I just want to, you know, every now and then like you think of like everybody loves Ryan and they're like, why didn't they do my family? My family's fucking insane. That's what we should be focusing on. It's a little Greek woman who like was in an arranged marriage. Like my papa was a a very different person to to my yaya. He was very, very, very Greek, Mm -hmm. very traditional, very like man works, wife stays at home with the kids. And my grandma, my yaya was just this massive free spirit. And she was like, nah, not going to do that. And so she started this business that both of them worked at and- it was just the coolest thing. She's the sickest lady. It's such an inspirational thing as well. Yeah, to look at it was, it was so from re- like and from a really young age, I realized that she was just cool. Like she was just a cool old lady who just did her own thing. Yeah, what can I say? The Greeks, the Greeks, yeah, the Italian, the Italian, yeah, uh, no, Italian no, non- you, cunt. This one, great, great. Yes, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> I would edit it to change it anyways if it wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I know. So basically, you went from so you had that growing up, mm. which is obviously very lovely. Um, because you had that level of support all the way through. And then this is a, this is a long bow. I'm just bringing yeah. it back. But basically, so then you had this traumatic experience of the auntie yeah. dying at 19. Yeah. So my, my aunt passed away and it was expected. It was just the first time that you experienced death. I think everyone kind of, however you choose to deal with grief, it's it's hard. And so my aunt passed away and she was one of my favorite people. I wasn't really sure how you stop being sad. Like, how do you stop being sad after someone dies? And I was in this really, like, big turning point in my life and I'd just been diagnosed with depression anyway. So I I was grieving and I was also just fucking depressed. And So, I, like, I, this made you just trying to understand. Yeah. So you, you, you got in the depression so diagnosis already? Yeah. Yeah, so I got diagnosed when I was, like, 18, 19. And so it would have just been like a, like, like a month or two before my aunt passed away, I got this diagnosis and everyone kind of pointed out, they were like, so you're acting real weird. You're acting like, and, and I think it started like really early in my life. Yeah. So I like had been, you know, this insane teenager and then everyone kind of was like, oh, she's going to mellow out when she gets older. And then I didn't. And everyone was like, oh, this isn't just teenage bullshit. This is like, do you have an example or maybe something like that? So like, I just, I was just like, I would. Would go on like benders. So like when you're a teenager, drinking is this new fun thing that you would do, and maybe you drink too much, and maybe mom and dad have to come pick you up from a party. And like mom and dad would do that, and they'd be like, 
you know, okay, you're 16, 17, you're like learning how to do alcohol. And then I just kept doing that into like my late teens, my early 20s. As in needing to get taken like, home. Yeah, needing to get picked up, like binge drinking, like drinking for days on end, like because it was, it was this version of self-medicating, I think, at that point. Yeah, I just was this wreck and this weird kind of barely functional person. Like I was there but I wasn't present and I was just really sad all the time and, I, and it got to the point where I was like really suicidal and then everyone was like, mm, you should probably go see a doctor. And I was like, I'm fine. And everyone's like, you should probably go see a doctor. And I was like, I'm fine. And then that went on for another couple of months. Of course. Yeah, because you don't, you don't want to admit that something's wrong. And then eventually I went to a doctor and they were like, they give you this test and yet can never remember what it's called. It's like out of 50 on your level of anxiety and depression. I scored a 48. Like, I was like, I don't know. That's, like, that's A+. Plus. Yeah, I was like, I nailed it. I nailed having depression and High anxiety. distinction. Yeah. High distinction depression. And they were like, you're really sick. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went and and started the process of getting better. See, now here's the Kurt Vonnegut stuff. Yeah, See, yeah they, this is what you were waiting <laughs> See, for. See, I was got it. Yeah, you were waiting so you for it. It came yes. out. Um, no, no, yeah. Um, so then you, so then you went and got treatment for it. And- yeah, so slowly, like treatment is, you know, healing is a non-linear process, like Slaughterhouse Five, and you you go back and forth and you go through a bunch of stuff. And so I now at twenty six, twenty seven, however old I am, like still deal with day to day stuff, but. Like, yeah, not as bad as I was. Never, never will be as bad as I was because now I know what's wrong. But yeah, like it was, it was my brain just stopped producing serotonin. I've spoken about it on another show that you work on. Why am I sad? One day you went there and I, they were like, Zoe, do you want to come talk about your depression? I was like, fuck yeah, you know, that's my favorite topic. I missed it. You okay. Missed well, it. you can, yes. You so give me a spark notes now. Yeah. <laughs> well, pretty much my brain just stopped producing serotonin. So I can't even be like, this was, oh, this traumatic thing happened. And then I was sad, which a lot of like is a way that you can get depression. But another way you can get depression is your brain it just, just casts it. Yeah. Yeah. You no. just Happens. Nothing. You're just going around your day, yeah. and so it, could, it wasn't even like maybe the alcohol or something no, like that. No. Or... So we have a family history of it. Yeah. Um, where on my dad's side, everyone, all my cousins, my dad, my grandma, like everyone, kind of has my. We just realized recently that my great grandpa, my bisnono, he probably had it as well because they would always tell stories of him um, of being this lazy piece of shit who wasn't like would wouldn't get out of bed for days and would drink too much and like now with the hindsight and the knowledge you're like oh that probably was depression and self-medication um, so it's this family history thing and it just hit and then eventually yeah everyone was like oh hold on we know what this is because we've done it before and so we just we did it again and I got diagnosed um, with yeah, depression and anxiety and did cognitive therapy for about a year and that didn't work. Cognitive therapy paired with uh, antidepressants and they, that worked. So are you still on uh, stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll That's be on them for the rest of my life as well. Like I think, you know, when you think of depression, you think of it as this curable thing, especially if you, th- if you think of depression as like something bad happens, you get depressed and then you rebuild from there and then eventually you'll be better. But I don't have that type. I have like it's like asthma. I'm just going to have it forever. So I can pretend to myself and if I maybe didn't, wasn't so aware of my family history, I'd be very keen on weaning off the medication. But I think at this point I'm like, well, the medication keeps me functional. I have like four other chronic illnesses. So what's one more pill at this point? (laughs) You're like, yeah, whatever. Unrelated to the. Yeah, unrelated. So my body barely functions. Okay. All right. So yeah. that's yeah, so yeah. at that point, what's one more pill? When you're taking seven pills a day, what's one more pill? Yeah. You're like, yeah, whatever. The rest of them keep me alive. I might as well do one more. It's true. Yeah. 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 No, no, it's, it's definitely, if it's one between one and zero, that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. If, Six if, or seven. If you are hung up on like the idea of having to take a pill to be better, then, which a lot of people do, like a lot of, there's that really big stigma of like, you take this pill and you think it's going to fix you. And you're like, oh, I don't want my happiness to come from a pill. I've heard, I've heard that so many times. Oh, my happiness to come from a pill. You're like, well, fuck, I get every a bunch of other shit from pills. So why not? Why not I get my Part hormones? Part of the benders. Yeah, woo. Woo. let's go nuts. Let's take a bunch of pills. And it's just like fucking supplements to keep me going. Yeah. That's uh, okay. So there's your Vonnegut shit right there. It's so Vonnegut that it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Suicidal thoughts and everything. Yeah, there, yeah, you, yeah. Go. there you go. I ended up, um, I want to tell this story. This is my Vonnegut story, my Slaughterhouse-Five story, if that's all right. <laughs> I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Or do you want to lead into it? I have a story that I've been waiting to tell. I've, like, I just don't know how you could possibly not think that it's okay to tell that story. Know, maybe <laughs> you would have been like, no, Zoe. It's literally the point of the show. It's <laughs> this connection especially, yeah. You don't, you don't know how this show works. We've got yeah. certain segments and then Cut. at the end you tell your funny Vonnegut story. It's, it's a routine, okay, God. <laughs> if it's good enough, we'll just finish it there, all right. No. So uh, my, speaking of, of loss and, and everything in death, my grandpa, my papu passed away maybe about four or five years ago and my mom was like, Zoe, you need to do the eulogy because – I was the only grandkid that was capable of doing the eulogy. So my brother lived overseas and all my other cousins were like 15 and younger. And me and my papu had a strained relationship at best. This is the uh, rather old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. So it was, there's... Who maybe was not the nicest to your... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And and was probably not the nicest to most women, you know. And and so very much, there's kind of this hierarchy in Greek culture, which you might know, which is, we, we call it my family within ourselves. We call it my son, my son. And that's kind of the the idea that the son is always the best kid. And I'm the daughter of my mother. So I was out of all the grandkids ranked least in, in my in my papua's kind of ranking of his kids. So his son's son was the best son. His son's daughters were then the best. And then my mother's son was best. And then I, a daughter-daughter, was the lowest of the totem pole. Yeah, can't relate. I'm a son, so yeah, you're perfect, I've got pretty sweet. I uh, like the system. Yeah, it, it works, benefits works, me. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would want to change yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry, don't worry. It's, <laughs> no gonna it's never going to change. Like, and I'm, it's, 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 never to complain about it because my yaya will always say that I'm her favourite. So it's like it doesn't – it ebbs and flows where my yaya, on the other hand, is like Zoe is my favourite and I will say that very clearly in front of everyone else. It so I'm not like, lacking. Yeah, I never want to make. I, I don't want it to seem like a "woe is Zoe" moment where I was never lacking in love or attention in this family. We're being very clear at this yes. point that your issues stem from oh. chemical imbalances. Yes, basically. chemical imbalance, nothing else. Yeah, um, but yeah. But me and my papu were never close, and so when I got asked to do the eulogy, I was like, "Oh no, I don't want to do this at all because that involves stuff that I don't like doing, which is talking nicely about my grandpa and being in." in a serious situation. <laughs> Again, I feel like you've been in serious situations. But, but yeah, being no. in a serious situation where you have to be serious, I think is where I like. Like I can be in a serious situation and crack a joke. I can be, if I'm allowed to be funny, I can thrive in any situation. But when I have to be like somber and serious and keep it docile, like I just I very much struggle with that. The word that you used is docile. <laughs> That's, you've got a whole bunch of issues there we can unpack. We need more shows for that. <laughs> be back in every week to get therapy with and George. <laughs> docile. Or just calm and relax. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. Somber. This is me calm and yeah, relax. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, anyway, so my mom, um, and this is Greek thing. So we're doing the viewing first and traditional Greek, uh, Orthodox, uh, funerals, you're not allowed to speak, just the, the priest does. So we're at the viewing and my mom's like, Zoe, this is your moment. And I was like, oh no. And what I did was just read a passage from Slaughterhouse Five, which as a book about death. Yes. Yeah, Zoe, what a good choice. Okay, interesting. Was it though? Well, <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. Th- that because... book references aliens so much. I'm just going to say, yeah. it's a, like thematically, it's about death. It <laughs> but, but, doesn't but mean any one passage. Wise, it's just about aliens. Um, so I'm giving this eulogy where I'm talking about my papu and his business and his life that I guess was fine. And I'm talking about how the Trafmaphagorians, <laughs> and I'm doing that every fucking time. You're at a, you're- I'm at an old Greek man's funeral and I'm telling you how aliens view death. And you're actually saying the, the name. And I'm the saying the Trapmaphagorians tra- 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 and I'm butchering it every time. And I'm doing this bit and I'm like reading and it's all about how they don't view. It's this really poignant, beautiful bit, how they don't view death as death because we all exist simultaneously and it all doesn't fucking matter. And I finish and my mom's glaring at me and then I sit down because I know I'm in trouble. And I then I, I start talking to some of my cousins and they were like, well, we've never been to a funeral where the funeral director had to leave the room because he was laughing too hard. 
And my, my uncle came up to me and was like, I really liked your eulogy, Zoe. I think it spoke too much about aliens, but other than that, it was beautiful. <laughs> oh, my God. I could not. This Could a story be more relevant no, to this no, show, no. firstly? Oh, my God. Like, for, such artsy yeah. The artsy children and their artsy kids. <laughs> Came in with this artsy Talking fucking about, yeah. alien eulogy. Already you got to quote some literature yeah. and then it's about aliens. And, and then like the next day we're at the, the actual. Not even like somber saying no, aliens, I'm like, like Trafford McDorians. Yeah. And I remember because my brother was overseas and my brother is is so much smarter than me in situations like this. And I was like, hey, man, I'm thinking of reading this at the the, eul- at the eulogy. This is going to be my eulogy. What do you think? And he was like, hey, I really like the, all of it except for that aliens part. Maybe you can edit it. And he rewrote the passage to be, like, more related to my grandpa. And I just was like, no, I'll never do that to Vonnegut. I'm going to read the correct passage. <sighs> so you, somewhere if you go far enough back. Were you dating in, this guy at the time? No, I wasn't as well. Like that's the fucked up thing is that I wasn't there to prove anything to anyone. I just panicked. And I think my anxiety got the better of me and I doubled down on, you know, when someone's like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And you're like, no, I'm going to do it harder. I think that's just what happened. But it was a eulogy. So I really didn't have a leg to stand on. I love your brother trying to politely, he actually put in the work. Yeah, to politely fix it. Because he knew, like he knew like if, if he was in the country, it would have been his responsibility. And the only reason I got asked is because he was away. So I was like, help, 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 help. And he was like, we got you, man. And then I got all these notes back and I was like, nah, I've got it. Was there like... Which is also a Greek bullshit thing that we do as well, which is like, I've nailed this. No, 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 no. No, no, I've (laughs) done it correctly the first time. (laughs) Please, travel the Medorans, they're going to love this. They will eat this shit up and the whole time it's all these old wogs staring at me being like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. My yaya's there. We'd already had one argument as well because I was wearing... um, I was about to ask. (laughs) I was wearing a black dress. Like I I was at a funeral, but I was wearing this thing in my hair because I had a really... I think my hair was green or something. So, so I tied my hair up in a scarf so that you couldn't see it. And my mum was like, take that scarf off. You look kind of ridiculous. And I was like, I don't want people to be mad at me for having green hair. This is my compromise. And then my yaya chimed in with like, just let her wear the scarf. It's fine. So where everyone's already tense, just of my outfit choice and me trying to avoid something, it made it worse. And then I go and I rant about aliens and I'm 23. I'm too old to be doing this. How long was the speech for? It was like a good paragraph of text. So I was up there for like two, three minutes having like my little moment telling fun stories about my grandpa, trying to fucking search the barrel to find one of those to begin with. I was like, okay, grandpa, 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 I'm going into the Rolodex. It's just empty. It's dusty. I'm like, ah, start talking about aliens. Kurt, don't fail me now. (laughs) I was like, nothing is, yeah. And I literally remember being like, nothing has prepared me more for this moment than this because this is the book that I read to like to comprehend death. We're talking about death. And the sentiment was good. The sentiment came from a kind, loving place that was pretty much like whilst his body is gone, he is still here because he exists in our memories and time is all bullshit, which, you know, there's an argument there in itself, maybe not the point, the practice, like you don't bring that up in a eulogy. It's like being like the earth is flat. Let's discuss, guys. I currently have a microphone. This is my moment. And it just was so, that whole thing was super bad because then the next day we did like the regular thing the regular like proper th- funeral and the, the priest sounded like the cat empire. So I couldn't not think about that the entire time. And then as we were going to the cemetery, I fell in a grave. Papu's funeral, Papu's death really fucked me over. Yeah, you got you got an interesting attitude towards death. I feel like. <laughs> you got to got to get a vonnegut towards it. Where you're like, yeah, so it goes. I'm yeah. in the in the grave, like covered in mud. Still, like at the start, like we just gotten there, and I was like, I've got another four hours in this mud covered dress now. So it goes, man. I'm glad it 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 helped you out in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you fall in a grave? I was jumping. All right, just like we're trying to find another relative because we like you know the, the Faulkner Cemetery is just where all the old wogs go get buried in Melbourne. So my aunt, who I mentioned earlier, is also buried there. And my dad, after the the procession with my grandpa, was like, let's go say hi to your aunt. And I was like, that's a great idea. My dad and I both hadn't been there since her funeral. And we were like, we've got this. We kind of remember where she's buried-ish. Mm-hmm. And we, we we went. It's a big It's cemetery. a big, it's a yeah, massive it's cemetery. Mass- Thankfully, they were both in the same lot. So we were like, we know she's in this lot somewhere. And we, my dad ended up, like, we got stuck and dad ended up just jumping over this gravestone to... 
My dad's like 6'1", he's a tall dude, so he's got legs, he's got legs for days. Yeah. And he jumps and it's fine and I go to do the exact same thing in in like stockings and a tight dress and a pair of heels and I get like halfway and then just fall down. And I'm like, ah, cool, this funeral rules already. This sounds like a sitcom episode. It was, right, it just yeah, was like, and then I got offered weed at the funeral as well. Someone was like, hey, Zoe, do you want to smoke a J? And I was like, oh, not right now, man. It's my papa's funeral. I got to get wine drunk like the rest of it, like, like everyone else here. Was that a cousin or something like that? It was like a friend of the family who just like was like a young person. You would like some weed. And I was like, Deals. oh. Yeah. And I was like, no, not, no, no, I've got to stay conscious and, and kind of coherent. And, and it's a funeral. So I just don't think busting out, it's my papa's funeral as well. I think for certain people, busting out a J would be like an appropriate way of mourning, but not for my old papu who believed that cholesterol could kill a five-year-old. Like They have interesting views. They have the interesting, views. Yeah, they have interesting a- views. They're the old little Greek man who always like made sure that I knew that I wasn't the favourite. I was like, I've got to pay a bit of respect. He put me in my place. You know? Yeah, he would say, stop doing this. There's this great photo on my grandma, on my yaya's like wall of like him and my brother like getting a lamb ready for Easter and I'm in the photo but obviously have been pushed in the photo and I'm obviously crying and I remember that so clearly because earlier, like literally two minutes earlier, I'd come out and been like, and I'm six in this photo. Papu and my brother were setting up the, the lamb and I was like, oh, Papu, can I help? I want to help. And he was like, no. Okay. And I just like burst into tears and then my yaya came and yelled at him because she was like, don't be a piece of shit. And then we took this photo for some reason. It's great. Immortalize it. And now it's on the fucking wall and every time I go over, I'm like, remember being sad? And that's my fucking life. Wow. All right. Uh, Try and unpack that. I'm not sure <laughs> where to start uh, with that. No, it's, uh, okay, so look, we're meant to be talking about good Vonnegut. Yes. And these things. So uh, to go back to the original so, so it's good to have that. You had that in the barrel already for your grandfather's Yeah, I was funeral, ready. I was which is a weird way to moment. say that. So firstly, you hadn't visited your grandma, your auntie's grave once. No, no. How come? I just, I don't, I think, this is like a big, big question, but I think when you're dead, you're dead. So whatever. Okay. Like, I, I know that's like a really a sad way, sad way and very straightforward way of looking at it. But I just don't think, for me, I get nothing out of it. Like I know for my mom, it's really important to go visit her dad and be able to talk to her dad and, and have this place where she can, you know, be with him and remember him. But I, I think that when you die, there's nothing. I don't need to, I feel within myself the need to communicate with anyone who has passed over, nor do I need a special place to remember them. Like I yeah. can just remember them. And like the idea of going to a corpse factory is very uncomfortable. It's more like a corpse garden. Yeah, it's a corpse garden. Yeah, I, will, yeah. I will admit to that. It's more of a corpse garden. It just makes me very uncomfortable. Like they're very uncomfortable places. But uh, shouldn't that not really make you uncomfortable if it's nothing? I think it's not. I think it's just the idea of just like bodies being there. Like I think the idea of just having rotting, bo- not rotting. Like I don't want to dis- diminish funerals and, and cemeteries because they obviously serve their place in society. But like. Like, I don't know. I think keeping your body is a very selfish thing. Okay. Yeah. That's different again to saying. It's like, different, it, but it yeah. just makes me very uncomfortable. Like every time I go there, I'm like, what a waste of bodies. See, that's just a weird <laughs> sentence straight yeah. away. Yeah. Waste of bodies. So I think I think keeping bodies is a very weird thing that we do. And I think, um, yeah, having a special place to remember someone. If you need to, that's, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to take away from anyone else's right to grieve however they choose to. But for me, it just was unnecessary to to go to a certain spot to be sad. I can just be sad wherever. And it sounds like you are sad. Yeah, I am sad. I'm sad everywhere. Yeah, I've got this covered, guys. Yeah. The, whole, the whole world's my gravestone. Yeah. <laughs> Mourn wherever. Just a regular rock. I'll cry at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, I understand, like, that attitude kind of, mm. but obviously there's, like, the symbolism's just so ingrained into the human yeah. psyche. Yeah. Though. That's why I would say that there's more to the other side as well. So I guess I would ask, did you find your auntie's Yeah, we did. We found it. And, and we laid flowers and we did what my dad needed to do. And you that. felt nothing? I've, not not nothing, but also not something. I think there was just like, I was like, oh, okay. I was mad that I was mad that it was my, my uh, bad grandma had made it really gaudy, but I think that was more of a personal hatred towards my grandma than, than anything towards my aunt. Because <laughs> my, my mom goes and like takes care of her dad's plot area, whatever. I just don't see that. I don't want that for me. And and I don't want I don't want to have to do that for someone else either. Like I think if my mum and dad die and they want to be buried, that's going to be my brother's problem. But I like have signed up to have all of my bits donated, so there will be no Zoe to bury. You know, I just think it's very 
unnecessary. Um, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I guess you got. Because if death is finite, then it doesn't matter what happens with your body. So why not donate it to whether it's science or medical? Like, that's how I feel. Like, death is, death is nothing. Inherently, it's nothingness to hold meaning in, in remnants of, of someone who remains, I think is kind of pointless. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can totally yeah. understand. And yeah, that. Not to diminish anyone else's. That's just how I feel, you know, and I'll never, yeah, I'll never be like, ew, to, to anyone else. You grieve how you want to grieve. But for me, it's just unnecessary. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, the only reason I probably like it, like in terms of not like it, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, is that just, again, just the sheer symbolism. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, your body's, Nothing. Yeah. It's gone. It's, it's gone. not it's gone. like there's no soul attached yeah. to nothing. Yeah. It is literally just empty meat. Yeah. Which is why it's good to donate it, I I think. But I also do realize the other side of the coin, which is like it just it's just something yeah. that you can then attach to meaning to it's sort tangible. of and, it's and a it's tangible, tangible thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, it's like that's why I was wondering whether when you were with your auntie, even though like, yeah, because uh, like, you know, I can understand that whole attitude of it not meaning like it doesn't mean anything, like the body and stuff, but still it's just like you've got this spot now and you sit there and you're yeah. like, ah, oh, and then oh, you feel you stuff and it. you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah, I I do understand that. And I think I wish I felt that way. Like I wish I felt that way. I wish I had more was able to grasp this concept a little better and wasn't so cynical about it. I wish I could go over to either my papu or my aunties and like have these great more my auntie than my papu, but like have these great memories. But I just think like I'm so capable of thinking about her whenever and I and like I've got her photos around and stuff and like I see them and I'm like, ah, I got it. I got like, I think I've got my own special way of do- doing it. You're too busy being, so it goes, man. Yeah, so, so it goes, goes, so it goes, you know, that's it. That's uh, okay. That's, no, that's interesting. Okay, that's actually, it's obviously um, atheist. Yeah. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> like, obviously. Pretty obviously. Yeah. With that, it's interesting though. So Kurt Vonnegut was Slaughterhouse Five, and you're gonna have to help me out here because even though it does have this aliens view and it does have this four dimensional view, I don't think it has a spiritual connection to it. It is talking about it in terms of it's just the thing that happened and the attachment we place on it, obviously because of and again this could all be completely made up, but the idea of third dimension versus yes. fourth dimension yes. thinking is why we place the importance on what we do. Yeah, because you can't see that extra dimension. You know, if you don't know, of course, like if you don't know what's gonna happen next, you're gonna spend so much time hypothesizing what will happen. And I think if you want to get like real psychological on it, like because I've I've been someone who's been really close to suicide and stuff like that, like my d- approach to death is very much like, oh, whatever, because I've, I've almost dabbled in it in a way. Like it, to me, it's not, I needed to make my peace with it. If you're suicidal, you need to make your peace with death because that's what you want. Yeah. So for me, like I came out of it, I'm no longer suicidal. I'm no longer the suicidal person. I don't believe suicide, suicide is a good option for anyone, but it, it did make me at least just come to terms with death and my own mortality. And so you have to accept it, whether it is something else, you know, reincarnation, however you choose to become okay with death. And for me, it was just be like, oh, it's nothing. And that's good. Yeah. You know, that's how I became okay with it. Okay. And I think that's very like Vonnegut because there is no, there's no spirituality in this book. It's just very much like death is death is death is death and it's okay. Like we don't need to know. It's not for us to know. And if, if it's nothing, that's also okay. Like we don't need to make it, if you want to make it bigger, cool. But if you don't. I mean, obviously, uh, if you've come so close with suicidal thoughts mm. to getting like to that point, you can almost, and you can stop me or we can, kind of, but like as in it is a, it's one way. It's a, a yeah. of dealing with that yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying it's scientifically it's the most correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you have that attitude and obviously cause you must've come pretty close. Cause that's like what they say is one of the last things that yeah, people do. You make before your peace they, with your God and you. Yeah. Before you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, away. So you must've been pretty. Uh, yeah. I was, I was really sick. I was really sick. And, and I like, you know, you say the phrase, like I'd never wish it on my worst enemy like that. Like I, I God never want anyone else to go through it. It's the worst. And this is before Vonnegut. Yeah, this is before Vonnegut. I was this teenager, like, going through this. And, like, you're a teenager. And so you're already fucked because your brain's already horny. And I was this angry teenager that didn't know what was going on and just was so sad, so numb and nothing. And, And I remember talking to the Vonnegut guy and saying, like, oh, I... I don't want to die, but man, I'm really tired of living. And he was like, that's suicidal thoughts. And I was like, huh? And he was like that. Oh, we're going to get you to a doctor. Yeah. You know? And so when you like, you don't know that like you think suicide is thinking like, I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. But it's not. It's just being like, I'm tired. I don't want to be here anymore. If I woke up tomorrow and I didn't exist, that would be great. You're just exhausted. And so it's just this level of 
exhaustion towards living. Like apathy almost. Yeah, yeah, you just don't feel anything anymore. And I didn't, I would never felt happy. I never felt sad. I just felt numb and and more towards sad and, and depressed and stuff, but just really there's nothing. And so when you feel nothing, it's okay to accept nothing. And then when you accept it, you're like, you make your peace with your God and you move on. But thankfully I was, I had a really good support system who was like, and everyone went to battle stations and everyone went, came into bat for me and, and took care of me for like that year while I got better. And I'm super grateful for everyone. You already got the attitude. So it goes. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. You, <laughs> like, and, then, and then you read Vonnegut and then I read Vonnegut and I was like, ah, oh, this is it. This is how I deal with everything. And yet not in a depressed way. Not in a depressed way. It's just an okay thing that is, is okay. You know, like when you, one of the things that happened while I was recovering is like talk about the voice in your head and your narrative. And then the, the voice in your head is constantly like, you're a piece of shit and you're fucking nothing. And blah. and it says that to you again and again and again until you believe it. It is really hard to say anything positive to yourself. So one of the techniques that you use is instead of saying something positive because your brain will just counteract that, you just start saying really neutral things. So the idea is to not get happy straight away. The idea is to make a step from bad to neutral, then to good. This is actually a coping yeah. technique. This is a coping technique. So for ages I would be like, I would I couldn't be like, oh, I'm a really good friend because I take care of my friends and because I wasn't. Like I knew I wasn't. I was this piece of shit that was like so internalized and focusing on my own stuff. Um, but I'd be like, I'm a pretty good friend. I'm like, I've had moments of good friend. And I was able to say that to myself without feeling like a liar. So I was like, okay, I can do that. And then eventually you get used to that. And so you build yourself up and it's building blocks. You don't go from zero to a hundred. You always. Oh, and that's an actual technique yeah. to use. Yeah. So you say neutral stuff to yourself while, rather than. But it's not necessarily neutral. That's just. Well, it's like more neutral than positive. Well, no, so, I'm saying I'm pretty good friend. That's just almost yeah. being honest. I am <laughs> a friend. Like however you choose to go about it. Like I am a friend. I am like, cause you, I, I was incapable of being like, I'm a good friend, but I was like, I am a friend. Cause instead of, cause you're counter acting a voice being like no one likes you like so you, you have no friends and you're like i have a friend right like, i have i have friend i'm i'm an okay friend i have people that sometimes like to hang out with me and you say these things that are not necessarily super positive but just not insane where you're like i'm a great person who's super high functioning because you know that's a lie I think that's always, even if someone is all those things, yeah. someone's walking around thinking that, people are always a bit suspicious yeah. straight ahead. I'm the best and this is all great all the time. Yeah. I've got so many good friends. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. Uh, mm, <laughs> right. I don't know if you've got enough serotonin gone there yeah. <laughs> or possibly too much, but yeah. that's, wow, that has been, it's been really relevant. <laughs> there you go. That's my gift. <laughs> my gift to you is, is my Vonnegut brain. Yeah, and and like, it's just so it goes in every day. And and that's it. That's, yeah, that's how I dealt dealt with everything. It's just kind of became this really so it goes kind of person. You and, learn to roll with the punches when the punches are inherently unfair. You roll and, with the punches. Yeah, what's interesting there is because you'd already done that almost. Yeah. And then this just reflected that, almost it was, formalized it. It was a way to put it into words. Yeah. Like there was a way, like, because there's one thing when you feel something innately in yourself. And there's another thing when this fucking great fucking literature is saying it and you're like, see, see, I'm not a fucking weirdo. It's doing it. And then now I have words. and stuff. So I have like, I had mugs that said, so it goes. I had it like written, like it was one of my mantras for a really long time. I have like a, everything is beautiful. Nothing hurts t-shirt. Like people know that Vonnegut was my thing for a really long time. And they would just be like, here are Vonnegut gifts. And I'd be like, okay. And it was it. Like just for me, I just was like, so it goes, you know, learn to, however you choose to phrase, whether it's water off a duck's back or you know, if you learn to roll with the punches, everything gets a little bit easier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that's been Thanks. yeah really insightful into all that Thanks. stuff, right? Are there any other quotes that you remember from, I can't even remember, to be honest. No, I think so it goes and everything is beautiful because everything is beautiful and nothing hurts has that little illustration on the tombstone. Like that was the epithet. Um, of for, his. Not of the main no. character, it's of one of his friends. And it was like, everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. And it's like, that's death. Like that is how you see death. And then so it goes was like after every time someone died, that would end the paragraph. And it would be this repetitive kind of thing that just happened throughout the book. I didn't realize that that phrase referred to death, the everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Yeah. Oh. So it's just like that's that's how you, this person in this in this narrative has chosen to view it. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, ties it up for us. That's, yeah, uh, I'll come back with part two. I've got more stories. More stories. What about? I've got more bullshit. I can spout for days, mate. Or about Vonnegut. I'll find about, something. I feel like we should have gone more into these presents and things like yeah. that, that you were getting. Do you have any? What's the weirdest one you got? Um, I got dog tags with with everything is beautiful and nothing hurts engraved on them for my twenty first which I never wore. I was like, okay, I don't know what, I don't know what part about me screams dog tags, but 
I'm glad that I have them. I still have them. How did this not get mentioned at the start of the episode? I don't episode? know yet. Like, why are we finding I, this Because I, I was going to wear the shirt and I was like, that's in pretty piss poor taste, like to wear the shirt of the book you're talking about, like how fucking wankery. What do you mean? It? It's great. I, sh- I should have. Fuck, I fucked oh, it. I'm disappointed. Next time, right, next time next I'll time. bring some. Oh, maybe I'll get you to wear it sometimes. I'll get a photo anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, but, um, all right, cool. Well, that ties up everything. Um, has that, uh, are you feeling anything different about it? I feel good. I feel like I've five? never thought about it this like in this way. So it's a really cool kind of like, I knew that I thought this way about death and I knew this, but it's very cool to kind of put it all in one little chunk, one little hour chunk where you're like, oh, that's that's how I feel about this one thing and that's cool. Yeah, well, it's fun to see the connection stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Everyone, that's been Zoe Bellotta. This has been Book-ish and I've been George DeBrons. Thank you very much. Thank you, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.